Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. A vast universe exists within and beyond our reality. The frequencies that we can realize with our five senses are but a tiny part of all that is real. Welcome to the World Beyond Radio Show. I'm your host, Joe Wegent. We're going to talk about Freemasonry today. Uh, Freemasonry is an organization or an institution that has been around for hundreds of years. Uh, it got started in England officially in 1717. And it has now become a, uh, an organization that has stretched across nations around the world. It has also drawn a lot of uh, ire and a lot of uh, skepticism by its non-members around the world and has uh, created a lot of uh, criticism out there. But its roots were honorable and uh, they have a, a, a very lofty goal, which is uh, taking good men and making them better. Our special guest today is John Bridegroom. John Bridegroom is, uh, among all things, he is a Mason's Mason's. John has been a member and is still a member of a great number of Masonic organizations. His bio stretches two full pages of Masonic activity. And quite frankly, it would take the, the rest of our show today to read all the things that he has done within and for Freemasonry. Part of some of the things that uh, John Bridegroom has done, he, is, he has been the past master of his, shrine, uh, his uh, lodge up at Porter Lodge number 137. He is a member of the Orac Shrine. He has uh, been a member of the uh, Scottish Rite. 
it, the, the list just goes on and on. Two full pages of Masonic activity. I myself am a Freemason, and currently this year I am the master of my lodge, Evansville 64. And we're going to talk about Freemasonry, its roots, and where it where it's going to go. John, welcome to the show today. How are you doing? Doing wonderful. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, the pleasure is all on this side of the mic. I can assure you that this is a, this is an honor having somebody with such a a long and lofty resume here. This is a, honestly when I look at some of the lists of things here, I did not know that two thirds of these things even existed. Uh, some <laughs> some of them I've heard of, you know, Allied Masonic degrees and. Uh, you know, I, I have been in the uh, Scottish Rite and the York Rite, but some of these things, I have no idea what they are. So, yeah, well, you I, have... I often, I often joke with friends, you know, some people have hobbies that they do in their in their free time, and uh, this just happens to be mine, so... <laughs> <laughs> you know, your dues probably cost you $2,500 a year. I'm telling you, this is uh, this is impressive. I met uh, John Bridegroom at a meeting of the Lodge of Research last year while uh, visiting the Indiana Grand Lodge, and the talk up there was just amazing, talking about some of the esoteric uh, origins of Freemasonry. So we're going to talk about some of those esoteric things today. John what is esoteric? What does that mean? And why why is Freemasonry uh, so uh, so immersed in it? Well, the the, uh, the word esoteric in itself just means hidden. Um, so you know, on on that level, it's a fairly simple concept. Something that's hidden is something that's esoteric. And I think that Freemasonry, uh, in its teaching. Uh, is esoteric just by its very nature, and I think we'll we'll probably talk a bit more about that mm-hmm. as we move on as to why that would be and and how it is. But you know, basically, Freemasonry and its teachings uh, have a surface level, and they have a hidden meaning that's underneath, and so that makes Freemasonry itself an esoteric teaching. And this is. Honestly, it's it's I, one of the things that was said to me early on in my Masonic career, which has stuck with me forever, is that the teachings of Freemasonry are not necessarily proprietary to Freemasonry, um, meaning that it's just one system among many that teaches the same thing, and all of them do it in an esoteric way. And I think there's a an important reason as to why they use that method uh, to teach what they're teaching. Absolutely fascinating. I, I, we're going to go to a break here in just a minute, but yeah, well, I definitely want to get into some of those uh, those more hidden meanings and some of the things that masonry was was meant to convey. And I also want to talk about uh, how and why Freemasonry has kind of got away from those things, because that's that's a big part of our discussion today. Absolutely, but, and I think that uh, you know that's something that's important probably for the modern. Uh, Freemason or the modern scholar of Freemasonry to understand is that Freemasonry has grown into something Precisely, and we'll get right back to that in just a second. You're listening to the World Beyond Radio Show. I'm your host, Joe Weijin, and we'll be right back after a few moments and talk about esoteric Freemasonry. Stay tuned. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, 
strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Gibbs A. Williams, Ph.D., is a practicing psychoanalyst, supervisor, researcher, and author in New York City. Much of his life has been dedicated to understanding nature and the uses of meaningful coincidences or synchronicities. His radical and original non-Jungian, non-mystical, non-magical theory of synchronicities illuminates much of the fog surrounding this challenging and perplexing topic. His ideas and manners are fresh, presented in a style that is both entertaining and highly informative. He is also an expert on crisis intervention specially focused on violence reduction for the police and citizens, mastering anxiety, frustration and stress without the use of medication, and effectively preventing and treating heroin addiction. Dr. Williams can be contacted at his email address at gwwilliamsny11 at aol.com or visit his website at www.drgibbswilliams.com. This is Johanna Carroll, host of Dialogue with Divinity on the X-Zone Broadcast Network. While walking along Kanapali Beach in Maui this past year, I kept discovering all these shells and coral in the shape of hearts. My Dialogue with Divinity was very simple. Do you want me to do a retreat to heal people's hearts in Maui next year? And of course, the answer was yes. As a master spiritual teacher, I am offering you a neat retreat called RISE, May 8th through the 12th, 2017, and the chance of a lifetime to rest at a five-star resort for five days and experience a spiritual renewal of your heart and soul. Kanapali is one of the top five beaches in the world. This stunning resort has undergone a $40 million renovation. I walked the entire property, checked out the room choices on your behalf, and I must say it is stunning. Our conference room faces the ocean with sliding glass doors. Maui is known as Mother Maui because it is a soft, gentle, healing energy. In the embrace of Mother Maui, you will feel yourself rising from the limitations of an ordinary life to an extraordinary journey of peace, bliss, and harmony a greater sense of clarity. Our RISE retreat ignites renewal in the sacred elements of air, water, earth, fire, and wind. There's plenty of free time to enjoy all that Maui has to offer. A small deposit is required now to reserve your space as this retreat, it will sell out. For more details, please go to johannacarroll.com and register today. Aloha, and I'll see you in mystical Maui. Welcome back to the World Beyond Radio Show. I'm your guest, Joe Weijin. Our special guest today, I'm your host, Joe Weijin. I'm your uh, our special guest today is John Bridegroom, who has spent a career in Freemasonry, and we're going to talk about some of the origins of Freemasonry and what parts have been left behind and where we uh, think Freemasonry shall go in the future. So, when we left off, John, uh, you had been uh, talking about how. Many other traditions have all taught the the same esoteric things, the same uh, mystery school teachings and things like that. But Freemasonry just did it in their own way. Uh, go into that for just a little bit. Well, I think that um, you know you'll see the the method of teaching, the esoteric method of teaching, 
uh, is present uh, in all of the mystery schools, which is a term that sort of encompasses a lot of the uh, ancient traditions, uh, Egyptian mystery schools, um, Hermetic mystery schools, Rosicrucian mystery schools, all of those sorts of things. But it's also encompassed in really most of the world's religions as well. And so uh, going back prior to formalized education, uh, you had these systems of teaching which taught with the language of allegory. And I think that that is probably uh, one of Freemasonry's strongest assets is teaching its students the language of allegory. Because once you have kind of come to realize the language of allegory and understand it and see it, then the door opens to all of these ancient mystery schools and ancient religions and modern religions, and you can start to really see through the veil of what they're teaching to get to the heart of the matter. So can you give me an example of something that is taught by allegory? Well, certainly, um, you know, all of the Masonic teachings uh, fall back into teaching by allegory. And by that, I mean that they tell you a story and in that story is an underlying truth. So, for example, in Freemasonry, uh, we are taught the legend of King Solomon's Temple. And we're taught about the building of King Solomon's Temple and the architect of King Solomon's Temple uh, and ultimately the death of the architect and the archetype of beauty and understanding. And what we know in Freemasonry is that we're not actually being taught a historical lesson about uh, how to build a temple or a historical lesson about what happened surrounding the erection of King Solomon's temple. We're being taught how to build the temple of man, and we're using the language of architecture and applying it to the science of character building. And, you know, I there's... I always laugh. You hear, you know, the new Mason come in, and he wants to know is Hiram Abiff real? He wants to know <laughs> what, what's the historical context? Where's the story that I can find out who this guy was and how it was? And really, that's unimportant because what's important is how do those lessons apply to building the temple of man and erecting the temple of your own life uh, with an end goal, which I think ultimately is spiritual. Yes. And you'll see the same thing in religious teachings. And, you know, sometimes you have to be careful um, in discussing those types of things to keep from offending, um, you know, whether you want to say that this religious teaching or that religious teaching is allegorical as opposed to historical. Um, you know, uh, sometimes you can offend the person that you're talking to. But there's an old hermetic saying that the... Uh, lips of wisdom are closed, but to the ears of understanding. Uh, and that's, uh, that ultimately speaks to the allegorical nature of the things that, uh, that we're discussing. You know. Absolutely. There's, there's just some things that cannot be taken literally, especially when it applies to uh, improving a person's life and improving a person's standing, not only in the world, but before the eyes of the Creator. Well, I, I'll tell you why it's important, in my, in my opinion. Mm. And that's that Humans, in their very nature, learn by doing. Um, uh, for example, I, say you have never tasted an orange. I could tell you all day long what an orange tastes like, but until you taste the orange for yourself, you don't know it as a truth. And we tend to be creatures that learn by doing as opposed to by being told. So this is the purpose of teaching uh, with allegory, because when you teach with allegory, it allows for the moment of personal discovery in the student himself, which then cements it as truth in his mind. So you can teach the story on the surface, and they can learn the story on the surface, but until they dive in and can learn the purpose of the allegory, then they discover the truth for themselves, and it cements itself in the human psyche. And so to me, that's the, that's the purpose of teaching with allegory and why both religions, mystery schools, and the tradition of Freemasonry use this as a teaching tool. Amazing. So since Freemasonry is esoteric in its nature, but 
it doesn't announce that it's esoteric in its nature. What's the takeaway from that? I was uh, I was asked to speak one time um, in a in a very interesting situation, um, and I had a group of non Freemasons ask me why we keep the secrets that we do. Mm. And I, I told them, I said, we don't keep any secrets, to be honest. I said, I mean, we have some, some very surface secrets, which are, you know, signs of recognition, grips, words, that sort of thing. Um, but those really don't have a lot to do with the teachings of Freemasonry themselves. And I said, I'll tell you anything you want to know about what we do as Freemasons. Um, and they said, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why do you keep it secret? And I said, it's not secret. It's just that you're not ready to hear it. And that's really kind of the way that most of these revelations happen. You know, so you want to tell somebody that, you know, we uh, as Freemasons are just trying to make good men better, and that sounds ridiculous to them. Well, why would you be doing that behind closed doors? Why would you have these elaborate rituals? Why would you do all that? Because they don't want to accept that at the heart of it is just a system of morality to teach us to be better men to our fellow men and our communities around us. And until they're ready to look at that plainly and see it, it becomes the open secret of the world, you know? Outstanding. Unfortunately, that secrecy has, uh, it's cost us a lot of, um, a lot of problems over the years, especially lately. Sure. I, you know, traditionally people will destroy what they don't understand. Mm -hmm. Um, and and I don't know if that's, uh, you know, if that's fear or self-preservation, but the, you know, when you're on the outside looking in and you can have that flight of fancy that the people behind closed doors are plotting your own destruction or your own demise, and you can't accept the fact that what they're doing there is really kind of, you know, simple and at the heart of it, what the human condition is designed to do, which is to work together and help each other and support each other, then you want to shut it down because you feel it's something that you're not a part of. And I think that, you know, it's a perceived secrecy and it's a, uh, that perception, that misperception is what's caused a lot of the attacks upon the fraternity over the years. I always joke around that uh, yeah, Freemasonry is so secret that we all wear rings and stickers on our cars and uh, T-shirts and hats <laughs> to let everybody know that we're Freemasonry because because that's you know how how secretive it is. You know, truthfully, I I, I think that the heart of the um, uh, aggression towards Freemasonry actually started with the Bavarian Illuminati in Germany, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know. It makes sense because the Illuminati has become the buzzword for the secret society. Um, but it's really such a brief sliver in the history of the fraternity and, and initially had nothing to do with the fraternity. But the founder of the Bavarian Illuminati, Joe Weishaupt, used the Masonic Lodge as sort of a, um, um, uh, a fishing ground. He went out there and, and called Freemasons and held meetings within Masonic Lodges and things like that uh, for his group and ultimately was banned from Germany for doing so because it was uh, at a time of political unrest. And I think that that's been sort of a brand that's been stuck to us for way too long. Yeah, I was going to get into that later about how uh, Freemasons have been connected to the Illuminati, and uh, that that kind of cleared part of that up. Of course, the Illuminati has now been attached to uh, any part of any government that's trying to act outside of a government. And unfortunately, we keep getting lumped in with that kind of thing. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So with it being esoteric and with Freemasonry trying to teach these, these uh, uh, lessons of morality, what does Freemasonry give its members when they walk in the door? That's an interesting question. I, you know, I think that... It, you hear a lot of uh, talk of membership and things like that within the fraternity and concern over the size of the fraternity and people coming and not sticking around, that sort of thing. And I think a lot of it revolves around that specific question right there, because if you were to ask me plainly what does Freemasonry give its members, my answer would be nothing. <laughs> um, what, <laughs> and that's what we should really be telling people that join Freemasonry is that Freemasonry is going to give you nothing because Freemasonry is a philosophy and a science of discovering for yourself. We say we take good men and make them better. And I think that that is incorrect. I think we take good men 
and give them the tools to make themselves better. Um, because ultimately, you know, the mantra of Freemasonry and of most of the mystery schools is to know thyself, is to look within and find the deeper truth inside yourself and what does that mean and how does it, you know, what are the ramifications of the world around you once you can get to that point? Um, you know, there is no secret. There is no one answer that when you join Freemasonry, they're going to pull you into a side room and say, here it is. Congratulations. Now you know what you need to know. Um, it's a lifelong journey that, uh, you know, where you end probably depends largely on where you start, you know. Yeah, I think uh, I think Ben Franklin said that where he said, if you're looking for the wages of Freemasonry to be gold or wages or, or partnerships or business deals and all that, you're looking in the wrong place because that's not what we're here to offer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, I'm paraphrasing and I butchered it, you know, horribly, but that's basically what he was trying to get across is that you don't don't come here looking for, uh, you know, sweetheart deals behind the, the, the closed doors and guys uh, giving each other discounts and things like that, because it's just not going to happen. It's about what well, you're doing we, for yourself. Absolutely. And we are conditioned in, into a material world, um, you know, from birth, really. And so, again, trying to reset your mind to look at things in an allegorical nature. When you talk about the wages of Freemasonry or the treasures of the Templar, um, none of these were intended to be monetary gifts. None of these were intended to be, um, you know, buckets of gold hidden away in the caverns somewhere. These were the things that would turn your life around and create a spiritual gold, you know, which largely is the teachings of alchemy as well. I mean, and, and we'll probably get into some of that, but, you know, the hermetic philosophy, which is the foundation of the science of alchemy, is the same as Freemasonry. It, it's... It's the exact same uh, teachings, but using the language of the chemist as opposed to the language of the builder. That is great. And I, I definitely do want to get into the, the alchemy and the hermeticism as soon as we get back from our break. You're listening to the World Beyond Radio Show, and I'm your host, Joe Wegent. We are talking uh, this hour with John Bridegroom, and we are discussing the esoteric nature of Freemasonry. And we'll be right back in just a few minutes. If you wish to get a hold of John Bridegroom, you can reach him on his website, www.themasterscraft.net. Hang around, folks. We'll be right back in just a second. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone broadcast network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? Well then, meet Dr. Kimberly McGeorge and her cutting-edge breakthrough knowledge that combines science with possibility. Dr. Kimberly brings real-life answers and healing to those open to alternative solutions. She teaches solution-based programs and classes that will change all areas of your life forever. Specializing in conscious creation, intuitive readings, and energy medicine, you can rapidly shift health, relationships, business, and money and abundance challenges quickly. Receive her best-selling book, Secret to Everything, at no cost by going to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone. That's right. Transformation can start now. Just go to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone and receive Dr. Kimberly's book for free. 
While science pursues fact, magic accesses the quantum level, bridging random facts to form truth. As long as science and magic remain separate and polarized, the truth cannot be known. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. Join me on the Science of Magic radio program, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. During each episode, I'll be speaking with experienced and respected scientists and mystics. From astrologers to astronomers, from medical doctors to shaman, the scientific method to dowsing and intuition, we'll weave together information from seemingly divergent practices to promote unity and enlightenment. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, and the Science of Magic right here on the Mutual Broadcast Network. For more information, visit www.thescienceofmagic.net. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Welcome back to the World Beyond Radio Show. I'm your host, Joe Wegent. We're discussing esoteric Freemasonry with John Bridegroom. John, when we uh, just before we went to break, we were discussing alchemy and some of the uh, mystery school teachings. I would like to go into uh, more detail about that. There are so many uh, movies and references and uh, uh, all kinds of uh, literary uh, references to alchemy being that of trying to convert gold or uh, lead to gold because they're simply, you know, one element or, or one electron apart on the periodic uh, table. But sure. that's not what alchemy was originally intended for. No, I don't think so. And, and you know, in my opinion, it suffered the same fate as, you know, Freemasonry uh, on, the, on the surface level. You know, its exoteric teaching was converting lead into gold. And I think that especially, you know, during the, medieval period and the enlightenment there were plenty who spent their lives trying to perfect the science of uh, converting lead into gold for monetary gain uh, you hear stories of practicing alchemists being basically imprisoned by the lords of the land and sticking them away in a laboratory and forcing them to try and create gold for the monarchies um, and, you know, there's there's a few that claim to have successfully accomplished it, and I think that it's certainly possible. We've, we've seen in science today that there is the ability to convert actual lead into actual gold, although the energy expended makes it not profitable. Um, but ultimately, <laughs> the teachings of alchemy originally, I don't think, had anything to do with that. And I think that's the reason why if you try to become a student of ancient alchemical texts, you'll find it maddening because the language they used was not consistent across the board, which doesn't really lend itself to scientific experiment, but it does lend itself to an allegorical teaching of changing the base man into spiritual gold. Um, you know, it's the, the changing the lead into gold is similar to the rough ashlar to the perfect ashlar in Freemasonry. Mm. So is that the, the foundation of some of the mystery school teachings? Well, I think that, uh, you know, if you, if you look back at many of the uh, ancient mystery schools, what you're going to find is the foundation is Hermeticism, uh, which is really probably the earliest example of a theosophy, which is, you know, a, a religion and a philosophy sort of mixed into one. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of the all of the hermetic teachings are attributed to 
uh, Hermes Trismegistus, which uh, some say equate to the Egyptian god Hermes. Some say that it was an Egyptian teacher and philosopher, uh, and his teachings are the foundations for both the science of alchemy and uh, hermeticism itself, which is the basis of you know much of the ancient mystery schools. Some of the uh, the writers of the early twentieth uh, century, uh, Madame Blavatsky, uh, Alistair Crowley, uh, Gerald Gardner, they all um, adhered to the mystery school teachings. And of course, you know, Madame Blavatsky could not have been a Freemason at the time, but uh, Gerald Gardner at least got his uh, first degree, and uh, uh, Alistair Crowley and his contemporaries were all Freemasons as well, but they adhered to some of these mystery school teachings. Did they bring those things into Masonry, or did uh, they take Masonry and apply it to the old schools? That's that's a point of some uh, argument uh, and some debate amongst, I guess, uh, many of the modern-day Masonic scholars. And I would say that you know maybe they maybe they expounded upon it, but I certainly don't think that they brought it here in the first place. And if you if you look at some of the uh, uh, more renowned sort of Masonic scholars, you know your Albert Pike or your um, Wilmshurst they all speak very plainly about there being a deeper, richer tradition that predates the modern Freemasonry that we know. And I, you know, there's the argument that we grew out of the operative craft of Masonry. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that that's true. I believe that we adopted the structure and symbolism of the operative craft of Freemasonry to uh, perpetuate the teachings of the ancient mystery schools. And really, you can see the definitive change around 1725 with Anderson's Constitutions and the creation of the third degree. And that's where we really start to see Freemasonry take the form of an ancient mystery school. And I think, you know, it's important to know, and I don't think... um, Alistair Crowley is a is a touchy subject with a lot of Freemasons, and I don't yeah, think he, he was ever a regular Freemason, which we probably don't need to get into a discussion of clandestine or irregular Freemasonry here, but um, certainly he was as educated as any Freemason of the day and worked very closely with several prominent Freemasons who also were prominent in things like the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn or the August Order of Light or the Rosicrucians of the day. So. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he didn't, uh, as, as brilliant as he was and as, as uh, prolific a writer as he was, he didn't do the world uh, and some of the organizations that uh, he was uh, a membership, he didn't do them any good by you know trying to go out and become the world's most wicked man. Yeah, and it's also fascinating uh, to know that you know he was doing all of this at the turn of the century, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s. It's a it's an insane time frame for the things that he was doing and accomplishing. You know, yeah, and you know that also speaks about uh, the the level of enlightenment across the world because while he was in Europe doing those things you had Madame Blavatsky and you had uh, Manley Hall and you had some of the other uh, theosophists in America expounding the same principles absolutely absolutely you know, and i think that you know uh, madame blavatsky uh, again you know here's a situation where you've got someone who is not a freemason but understood and was able to uh, really competently lay out all of these ideas and philosophies outside of the structure of Freemasonry. So again, you see that you know it's not necessarily proprietary to what we are, but we are just another branch that teaches the same things. Yeah, I think I had read somewhere that uh, while she wasn't, you know, she wasn't capable of becoming a, a at the time, a modern Freemason, she had been uh, inducted into several Masonic-type organizations 
uh, out of which she created the uh, Theosophical Society. So she right. had a, an intimate knowledge of how the structure of Freemasonry works, even uh, a part of the rituals, but was not a, a member of the all-male Freemasonry uh, organization and institution that we know today. Sure, sure. I think that you know the you know Aleister Crowley gets a gets a pretty heavy rap from you know folks looking at and you know calling himself the the great beast and and doing the things that he did. But certainly this uh, this direction in life is not an easy one, and you know you start dealing with concepts and notions that are outside of your. Uh, you know, everyday teachings and everyday lives and, you know, the idea that you can have control over the world around you and mastery over yourself. And, you know, I could see uh, it's a very thin line uh, to be led astray. And I think that, in my opinion, uh, Alistair uh, Crowley went uh, went down a dark road, which is sort of the antithesis of the teachings of Freemasonry. But uh, others would argue that, but I don't know. Yeah, that he... He definitely had his uh, own way of going about business. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good way to put that. Yeah, he uh, and but you know he he brought those things to and took those things from other orders like uh, the Order of the Golden Dawn and and uh, you know really took concepts like uh, uh, Terosophy and, and you know wrote his own cards and created some of his own artwork and and did a lot of his own things, but he did that out of a structure of Golden Dawn and Freemasonry and some of these other uh, organizations like that where he had been member. Yeah, yeah. And I think that he's misunderstood in a lot of ways, too. I mean, certainly he had uh, his insane escapades. Um, you know, you can't, uh, you can't deny that. But I think that, you know, he understood at a fundamental level uh, the notion of these mystery schools. And his uh, you know, the creation of his uh, own religion, essentially, Thelema, uh, mm -hmm. and the, the um, you know, slogan or catchphrase of that, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Exactly. Um, I, I think that's misunderstood, because I think, ultimately, he's speaking a great truth there, and people think that what that phrase might mean is, you can do whatever you want. Um, I don't think that that's what intended. I think what he was saying is, do what thou wilt. In other words, the will of the individual. If you follow the true will of the individual, that's the only thing that there is. Uh, and ultimately, I think in a in a hermetic science, the idea that the universe is mental, the power of the human will, the power of the vibration of the human will becomes the only thing that's true as far as mastery of the self and mastery of the world around you. And I think that that's what he was getting at with that, although it's greatly misunderstood, even by his own followers. You know, I, I tend to agree with that. I, I, I think that a lot of the uh, a lot of his escapades that brought him the negative light was just a means by which he was simply trying to attract attention to himself so people would listen to his message. Kind of like sure. in the same way that, uh, you know, Ozzy Osbourne would, you know, bite the head off bats on stage and all that. And everybody said, wow, you know, here's a guy who's going way out there, but it got people into the stands buying tickets. So sure, you know, yeah. it, it, it's yeah. exactly that kind of attention grabbing thing that, you know, I have to be so outrageous and, and so uh, over the top just to get you to listen to what I'm trying to say, because what I have to say is important. And he was, you know, really trying to propound some of these mystery school teachings. And he wasn't the only one out there trying to get this message. It's just I think he went so over the top trying to get attention to it that it, it caused him a bad rap. Sure. And you can't deny the fact that, you know, here we are 100 years later, um, you know, still talking about the man. And, and he still has had a large effect on, you know, esoteric uh, societies across the world. So, you know, there's certainly a level of success that you have to attribute to the man. Precisely. And out of, you know, those kinds of philosophies, you know, you've got uh, uh, Steiner with the uh, Anthroposophical uh, Society that he created, which was still, you know, a, a branch of the same kinds of teachings. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, uh, all of these, um, societies and groups have a real affinity to the process of initiation, you know, the process of awakening the individual into a new world, you know? 
Absolutely. And that was, I was going to save that question about ritual and initiation uh, for our next segment, because we're going to be going into a break here in just a moment. But yeah, I definitely want to touch on why so many of these organizations um, rely so heavily on the process of initiation and ritual. So yeah, we'll get right back to that in just a second. You're listening to the World Beyond Radio Show. I'm your host, Joe Wegent. We're having a fascinating discussion with our guest today, John Bridegroom. And we're picking up all bits of the history of the hermetic and esoteric teachings of the mystery schools and how they apply to modern day Freemasonry. And we'll have a lot more of that when we come back in just a minute. Stick around. We've got a lot more to discuss. We'll be right back. As host of Dialogue with Divinity, I am thrilled to join the Exxon Broadcast Network and their growing number of affiliates. My quest for a connection to the divine ignited my successful career path as an international spiritual counselor for over 40 years, an author of four books, and well-known metaphysical educator. My clients call me their spiritual mama. So my job is to offer you a radio show to help you grow spiritually with wisdom and get specific tools from guests who are experts in their field. Tune in to Dialogue with Divinity and be part of the conversation with Spirit. My goal, your happy soul. For more information, please visit my website at johannacarroll.com. soon to the Exxon Broadcast Network is a different perspective with me, Kevin Randall, as your host. We'll be taking a close look at what is happening in the world of UFOs today with side trips into the paranormal. Guests will range from those who are household names to those who have a different perspective on a variety of topics. No topic will be taboo, but there will be tough questions asked as we all search for the truth about UFOs, the paranormal, and those things that excite us. Sometimes we'll agree with a guest and sometimes we won't, but we'll try to keep the program topical. For those of you who like to read, be sure to visit www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and remember to listen to the other fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun. Now her best-selling book, The Fun of Dying, is available in stores worldwide. So if you wonder whether death ends life, how it feels to die, or what heaven might be like, The Fun of Dying was written for you. And if you have always been afraid of death, or if you worry that your life is no meaning, let The Fun of Dying ease your fears and bring new meaning to your life. Nothing said in The Fun of Dying is based on the teachings of any religion. Instead, Roberta draws on evidence to explain how death happens, how it feels, and what comes next. A lot of the best death-related evidence was produced in the first half of the 20th century. When it is put together with recent discoveries, it tells a consistent and amazing story. Roberta Grimes blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. 
Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying, is available on Amazon and at stores worldwide wherever books are sold. Welcome back to our final segment of the World Beyond Radio Show. I'm your host, Joe Wegent, and we have been talking for the last hour about esoteric Freemasonry with our special guest, John Bridegroom. Our show is produced and carried by the Exxon Broadcast Network and Relmar McConnell Media Company, headquartered in Hamilton, Ontario. For more information on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. If you wish to contact me, uh, you can reach me at my email address, joewegent at xzbn.net. That's joe, W-E-I-G-A-N-T, at xzbn.net. Our special guest, John Bridegroom, can be reached on his website, www.themasterscraft.net, or by email, grandcouncilofficer at comcast.net. John, for our last segment, let's go into the purpose of initiation and why ritual is such a, uh, a integral part of that process. Well, for, I think, uh, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. I, the, um, when it comes to initiation, you know, we talk about Freemasons have initiation rituals. And for those who might be listening, who are Freemasons, I would you know, encourage them to pay attention to that word ritual because ritual indicates something that should be done in a specific way the same time every time uh, as opposed to the reenactment of a play or, um, you know, something of that nature. So it's important to understand that when we say we have a Masonic ritual, it means two things. One, that it has a particular structure that's supposed to be adhered to and two, that it has an, a purpose, an end goal. There's something that is supposed to happen as a result of the ritual. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in that way, I think that we can come to understand that initiation ceremonies, initiation rituals are intended to awaken the mind of the individual to a new process, a new uh, way of learning, a new way of seeing the world around them. And if done properly and done correctly, it can open the mind and give him sort of a new starting point to begin his new life in this process. Um, you know, there's lots of things in the Masonic fraternity that allude to that. You know, the, uh, after you come through the ritual, you're being placed in the northeast corner, uh, like the cornerstone of a building. The mm -hmm. beginning, the foundation to erect your new life, you know, to erect the temple of man. You know, we have a, a lot of things that refer to that process of initiation as being the beginning of the rest of your life. And so I think that's why these organizations have focused on initiation rituals, the ancient mystery schools, um, you know, the uh, hermetic sciences, Freemasonry. They all focus on that initiation ritual because it's important to break you out of the world you had been indoctrinated into from birth to start a new life of self-discovery and self-mastery. Perfect. You know, sometimes in order for a person to uh, redirect their thinking, they need to be confronted with that thought and, and have to uh, tackle that intellectually. And I think part of that ritual um, brings to that new candidate when he comes in for that first degree. Um, there's a lot of unknowns happening there. But at the end of the night, whenever the lectures are given and they explain why these things happened, why they were done this way, you know, the purpose behind why we had to do this, I think it, 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 it clears things up for a candidate so that way they, they get that takeaway moment where they can say, okay, this is for a reason and I understand that now. And I, I think no matter what organization that you're trying to join, I think that confrontational moment where we, okay, this is the way you think today, but afterwards you're going to think like this. And I think, I, I think that's important. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. And I, and, and lest anybody think that this is just a strange idea that, 
that strange people do behind closed doors, I, isn't this also the underlying purpose of uh, baptism or being born again or confirmation? I mean, these are all turning points in which they say, okay, in a, in a spiritual journey, now you begin anew. You know, now you start again. Uh, and I think that without that change, and, and in, in today's society, more than maybe 100 years ago, where we are filled with distraction, where every day we have social media, we have television barraging us with, you know, 30-second clips, and we don't stick, stay focused on anything for longer than a minute and a half, you know, mm -hmm. this world of distraction. The process of initiation becomes so much more important to shake us out of that state that we're in and to bring us into a state of introspection, a state of focus, and a state of control, you know. Yeah, you know, some people have even blamed that uh, that process, the, the the modernization of America or even across the world, with the uh, decline in membership. Because a hundred years ago, you had to make sure that you know your horse was fed and your wagon was tied up if you wanted to go to lodge, because you know it was a drive, and you know you had to you know, park your horses outside just to get to lodge. There were no distractions there was work and then there was lodge and now we've got you know 300 channels of nothing to watch and you know two different Absolutely. major game systems with a thousand games out there and so we've got all of these major distractions that are tearing people away from making themselves better people through the process of uh, iron sharpening iron it's just by being around other people who are also in, involved in that same process we all help each other out and we're all being helped Absolutely. And, I, you know, Freemasonry needs to stop being concerned with the size of its organization, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, it's always been a minority of people who are trying to rise above. It's always been a minority of people who want to understand the truth. And we did, it, we did enjoy a, an explosive time frame where everybody wanted to be a member. But that's probably why Freemasonry ended up growing beyond just its esoteric teachings and became... Uh, you know, also a, just a large fraternity uh, of people helping one another and, and enjoying things that were, you know, very exoteric, you know, because there was just such a large volume of, the, of us around. So. Yeah, but I, I think a lot of that growth during the time period uh, can be attributed to a lot of uh, servicemen coming back from World War II who had all been through this, this uh, traumatic uh, experience and all had sure. similar kinds of experiences and they were all uh, military men who had been trained to think and do certain things a certain way and when they came back here was another organization outside the military that had the same uh, nationwide uh, stability and so these guys oh, yeah. could you know they could go and hang out with other guys who've you know been over there and, and seen horrible things and they had you know that kind of uh, reliance to, to to fall back on and when those guys, you know, stopped coming to Lodge, the membership went back down to where it was before. Agreed. And I think that, you know, there's no question we saw that boom and right after World War One and right after World War Two, and mm -hmm. probably why we didn't see it in successive uh, conflicts is because of the creation of um, the American Legions and Veterans of Foreign Wars uh, mm -hmm. organizations where now they actually had organizations that were specific to the military that they could then go and join. Precisely. So what do you say to those uh, folks out there who, without knowing what Freemasonry is, want to attribute it to trying to, you know, do this Illuminati taking over the world thing? I always joke that, yeah, we're trying to take over the world one pancake breakfast at a time. Because, you yeah. know, because we, yeah. we, I still can't convince people that, you know, no, it's just Indiana Freemasonry. There's no worldwide organization. Well, I think that, you know, I mean, the teachings of Freemasonry, the teachings of any of the mystery schools are actually counterintuitive to that notion. Um, we're not concerned with controlling other people. We're more concerned with learning how to control ourselves and change our own personal worldview. Uh, so, I, you know, we do a disservice to ourselves constantly by saying you should join Freemasonry because, look, 
14 presidents were Freemasons. Um, mm-hmm. or these famous people or these successful people were Freemasons. And, you know, we're proud of those people, and that's why we point to them, but it also lends people to think that maybe the reason those people were successful is because they were Freemasons. It's actually quite the opposite. I mean, I remember before I joined the fraternity, I thought to myself, well, I've never seen a poor Freemason, you know, so they must be uh, have some secret that makes them all successful and wealthy. And, you know, the secret is is that if you learn to control yourself and you learn to be an upstanding moral person, and you start treating everybody the way they should be treated, you can't help but be successful. You can't help but grow and become a better person and do the right thing if you apply the teachings of Freemasonry to your life. So ultimately, those people were successful people who found Freemasonry. Freemasonry didn't make them presidents and didn't make them celebrities. You know, I always say the same thing. Were, were they good people because they were Freemasons, or were they Freemasons because they were good people? You know? Right, right, absolutely. But I think Freemason, uh, Freemasonry gives them that vehicle through which they can apply the good parts of their lives and learn how to do it uh, more effectively, more efficiently, and, and to do it with the support of other people along that same path. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, at least for myself, I can say that the teachings of Freemasonry have changed who I am as a person, and they've they've taught me to, you know, control the things in my life in a way that's beneficial to everybody around me, not just myself. Absolutely. It's it's really not a selfish ideology. Um, Even though the goal is to know yourself, the purpose is to improve the life of everyone around you. you Couldn't agree more. Thank you for listening to the World Beyond Radio Show. I'm your host, Joe Wiegent. And we've had our special guest, John Bridegroom. And we have enjoyed having you with us today. Keep tuning in. We'll always have something interesting to say. Thanks a lot, folks.